0: Well, happy 4th of July again, if you were not with us last week, we celebrated together and we uh, wished you a happy 4th of July and we honored our veterans and all of our people who helped to keep our nation free. And again, we say thank you for that today and thank you for being here and being a part. We're in a series, Prophecy, the, the end of the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at the end, he's going to do it again. And we're in this series, and we're all in, and we want you to be here every week. Last week, we talked about the rapture, don't miss it. That's one meeting that you don't want to miss. Maybe you're a businessman, and you don't like meetings, and you're tired of meetings. I had a pastor friend one time say to me, he said, man, you know, they talk about this meeting. There's going to be this meeting in the air. Some of you older folk know that song. There's going to be a meeting in the air. And he said, man, I've had enough meetings. Count me out. And I said, man, that's one meeting I don't want to miss is a meeting in the air with the lord jesus christ if you missed that last week be sure to pick it up time is running out we're near the end of things as god has made them the bible says no man knows the day or the hour so people who would say to you I got this date for you and they've done it many times throughout history, Uh, they're not understanding scripture because scripture says clearly no man knows the day or the hour. But the Bible has given us a picture of what's going to happen and what's going to be signs of the end of the beginning. And we are in those last days according to the Bible. We are in those last days and time is running out. I know most of you, unless you've uh, been completely shut off this past week, have been praying for those boys, those 12 boys in Thailand and their soccer coach who are trapped underwater uh, under, in a series of caves. Uh, there were these signs about danger, but they, they went on through there anyway. And anyway, then the rains came and there's been this flooding in case you haven't been following the story. And so they're trapped like a mile underground. And the oxygen is running out, and they've got Navy SEALs from the United States and from Thailand and from places around the world. They've got a, a team of engineers working on things. They've been pumping water out of these caves and getting, uh, trying to make a way for a rescue. Good news as you've been praying, and thank you for praying for those guys. This morning, as far as we know so far, there have been three boys already rescued this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. And so it's a very precarious situation, as you know. The Thai Navy SEAL uh, perished in trying to deliver oxygen to people. Um, Time is running out for them. The floods are coming. The monsoon season is there. and, And unless they get those boys out urgently, they will surely perish. And so we're praying for that. And I want to take a minute right now and pray for that team of people that are trying to deliver these boys and for those parents. Can you imagine being a parent And following this global news. Uh, So we want to pray for these families right now. God, we lift before you these boys and their coach. And their moms and their dads and their grandmas and their grandpas. Lord, we thank you for the three that have been delivered this morning. And thank you for the heroic efforts of men and women around the world to deliver them. And, Father, we pray for the remaining nine boys and the coach. We ask that, Lord, if it be your will and your perfect plan, that you would deliver them, Lord, as time is running out, and that the plan would work, and that they would get them through these narrow caves and these narrow passages and back up up above uh, ground where they can breathe, where they can be with their families and celebrate birthdays. Lord, we pray for them as time is running out. We lift them before you right now, and we give you a praise ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. When we hear a story like that, you know, in those Chilean miners years ago, they they were trapped for 69 days. Can you imagine 69 days underground and the panic and the world attention that went to that and now to this story? But most people really don't realize that the world, the entire world is perishing. First John chapter five, verse 19 says, the whole world lies under the sway, under the sway, like these boys under the ground. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. One translation says the whole world lies under the power of the evil world, uh, of the evil one. And the world is perishing. The oxygen is getting thin. The days... Are approaching when Jesus will return and rapture his church and all hell will break loose on the earth. The time is growing short. We don't know when exactly but based upon what the Bible says we believe the time is short. The earliest views of the end now they're not scripture okay but there were guesses about how long human civilization would last. This week I googled human civilization. Now Depending on where you come from on the whole evolutionary thing, I believe the Bible just says it straight out, that uh, we, we trace the lineage of the human race back 6,000 years to Adam and Eve. Uh, one date is put at 4004 BC for Adam and Eve in the garden. That just puts us uh, over just over uh, 6,000 years of civilization. But regardless of how long you believe it happened, if you Google human civilization, we only have about 6,000 years of, of civilizations that we can trace and I believe that's amazing because that's exactly how the Bible teaches it. But the earliest legends about how long this world would last and about how long it would be before God started again and the end of the beginning was here was 7,000 years and part of the reasoning was and it's not completely I mean it's not a foolproof theory but the Bible says with God a day is as what some of you know a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day now we can take that really literally which I don't really think it means but the idea is with God he's not limited to time now in eternity I don't know exactly how all that's going to work there will be seasons there will be months and so forth in eternity because there's these trees that are growing in the eternal city one each month So I believe there's some sense of time, but I don't think we're going to be limited in the sense that we are now. But the idea was it took six days to create the entire universe, and then on the seventh day, God rested. So if you take the 1,000 years per day thing, the theory was, and again, it's not biblical, it's not proven, but the thought was that 6,000 years of human civilization would occur and then sometime in the seventh millennium in the seven thousandth year years in that period of time that it would be the end of the beginning and God would create it again now that's where we are you know if you you know just two thousand and some odd years I mean six thousand some odd years civilization has been on the earth Whether that theory is true or not, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Based upon what I see in the Bible, the end is near. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 24. This is our key passage, it's uh, called the Olivet Discourse where Jesus sat on a mountain. It's called the Mount of Olives and he taught his disciples and they asked him, when was gonna be the end of the, the world as we know it? And when is the end of the beginning? And Jesus answers this throughout this passage in Matthew chapter 24 and verse and, and 25. So get there in your Bible. But the first thing I want to do is, is put up on the screen our memory verse, 1 Peter 1.13. Uh, last week I asked that you, how many of you would try and do, memorize this verse with me? Many of you raised your hands. If you, if you weren't here last week, we're asking that by the end of the seven-week series, that everybody at least memorize one verse. And it's 1 Peter 1.13. It says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being of sober mind, I'm trying to do it without looking myself, set your hope fully on the hope that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's read that together, okay? We're trying to memorize it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, I want to hear you, let's do it again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ of Jesus Christ one more time therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ what I suggest is take a phrase at a time work on that then take another phrase and add that to it and see if you can memorize this first because the Bible, this is the plan for the end of times he says get your mind right Re- remember that Jesus is coming back And that the end of the beginning is near. It said, get your minds ready, be sober-minded, be alert, be vigilant, and set your hope on the fact that Jesus is coming. Last week, we said a lot of people get really afraid when you talk about the rapture. And maybe that's you. Maybe it really scares you just a little bit. And uh, we hope that by the end of the series, as we see what God's unfolding ahead of us, that you will have a peace with God's plan and that it will not scare you and that you'll be ready for that. Okay, so the first thing you need to understand about the end of the beginning is this. In this passage that we're going to look at in just a minute, the Holy Spirit and the church are removed. Would you write that down? So as we're looking for what's going to happen at the end of time, we talked about that last week, that the church is going to be raptured out before all hell breaks loose on the earth. And we said not everybody that's a Christian, not everybody that believes the Bible, not everybody agrees with that, but in my study of scripture, it makes perfect sense. The Holy Spirit and the church are removed. In the second Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven, we read these words. For the mystery, and we said last week, a mystery is something that was previously unrevealed in the Old Testament. And there's 11 of them in the New Testament, 11 mysteries, this is one of them. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. Now, who's the restrainer? Who's the restrainer in the world today? The Holy Spirit and his church, the church of Jesus Christ. The world is a wicked place now. I mean, there's a lot of good in the world, and I love to see acts of kindness, random acts of kindness make me cry. My mom and I this weekend were watching a little news segment about some kind deed that somebody did to someone and I looked at my mom and we were both just crying like babies. There's some kindness in the world but the world is full of evil and pain and suffering. Can you imagine what the world would be like when all of the church, millions of believers around the world are lifted out and all of their influence and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of them. Now we know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are omnipresent. They're everywhere present at the same time. But in the Old Testament and in the time to come when the church is taken out, he's present, but he's not indwelling believers like he was, like he is in the church age. And so there's something mysterious about this, this mystery of lawlessness that's going to be revealed at the end of the beginning that the church is lifted out and all the good that the church does and all the good that you do and the kindness that you show to people at work, when all of that is removed and the Holy Spirit is holding back wickedness. You know, I'm often amazed that that wickedness doesn't abound even more than it does. Every time there's a a ball drop in New York City at New Year's Eve, I'm thinking, man, that's 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 a heyday for a terrorist. And I know they got all these New York City police officers, but you imagine... The Holy Spirit is still restraining. The church is still restraining. Good is still restraining. But when that is lifted out, the church and the Holy Spirit, all hell breaks loose on the earth. And it's a horrible time of tribulation. In John chapter 16, verse 33, we read these words. I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. You need to know this. You can have peace no matter what's coming ahead. No matter what's coming for you this week, you can have peace in your life. You don't have to be addicted to something to give you peace, except for Jesus. It says, I said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Write it down. God's not picking on you. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So what is tribulation? Here's a definition for you. Tribulation is the inevitable response of a sinful world dominated by Satan's power to the challenge of the gospel. This is tribulation. The inevitable response of a sinful world dominated by Satan's power to the challenge of the gospel. We started with 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies under the sway, under the influence, under the power of the wicked one. Well, when the church is taken out, and all hell breaks loose on the earth. Can you even imagine what that's going to be like? So tribulation exists now, but it's going to be amplified many fold in the days ahead when the church is raptured out. The inevitable response of a sinful world dominated by Satan's power to the challenge of the gospel. Now, in my lifetime, some of you are getting on up in age. I'm, you know, I'm on the back nine of life. I know that. You know, that average lifespan, according to the Bible, is around 70, 70, 80 years. I'm in my 61st year. Okay, so I know the time is running out for me. But the Bible teaches clearly that that tribulation is going to happen on this earth, and it's dominated by Satan and his power, But when the church and the Holy Spirit are lifted out, then I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. I can't even begin to imagine the power of that tribulation. So we have tribulation now, but it's coming and it's going to intensify a lot. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24, a key passage. Last week we read verses one through six, and the the questions that Jesus is answering, they asked three questions. They walk outside of this temple and they said, wow this is an amazing edifice. This is an amazing structure, the temple uh, that's built. And uh, Jesus said, they, and they said to Jesus, hey, check this out. And Jesus said, not one stone upon another will be left in this temple. And in 70 AD, Roman emperor Titus, he, he, he built fires on both sides of the wall and the wall trembled and they tumbled down and the soldiers were looking for gold In the walls, they had a rumor that gold was underneath some of the stones. They turned over every stone and rolled them down the hill. So that was answered in 70 A.D. But some of the things he didn't answer and did not occur in 70 A.D. And so the, the second and third questions were, what will be the sign of the end of the times, the end of the beginning, and when you will return? And so Jesus begins to answer those questions. And now we pick up reading in verse 7 of uh, chapter 24 of Matthew. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now we see all that today, right? We see all those things happening and natural disasters happening all around us now. All these, verse 8, are the beginning of birth pains, like a labor pain that's beginning. You know, we just had two two more grandchildren recently. And to be there when all these birth pangs are beginning, we went down to South Carolina one weekend, but the baby didn't come. We came back. Well, the next weekend we went back and those birth pangs finally developed and she finally had the baby. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up. Now, who's who's you? He's talking about the Jewish people. He's talking to the Jewish people here. But anybody that's following God, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Do you realize the persecution of the church of Jesus Christ is the worst now that it's ever been in the history of the world? In China, in places all around the world, Christians are being put to death and executed. But that's nothing compared to what's to come. He said there's going to be great tribulation and they're going to hate you. Now, even in our country, whereas 50 years ago, Christians were sort of respected and churches were respected and taken care of and they were looked out after. But many people in our country, many liberal people who don't believe in God and don't believe in his word now are beginning to hate Christians and persecute them. Well, the Bible said that that wouldn't happen. We'll would be hated by all nations for my name's sake. In Israel, the nation of Israel, the little country of Israel will be hated as well by all nations. And they're going to try to take them out. Verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. People who profess Jesus but don't really know him, and they've kind of been a part of the church, but now the 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 tension mounts in societies against churches and people that don't really believe in Jesus and that are kind of easy believers and not really followers of Jesus, they fall away, and they fall away from the church. In verse eleven, and many false prophets will arise. And lead many. We see that all the time. People rising up and claiming to be God, claiming to be Jesus. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. In verse twelve, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, in uh, in our society, we have observed all in all the history of our nation the rule of law, that there are laws and they're to be followed. Now, many in our society today are trying to throw all that away and say no laws are evil we can't follow laws and you know they're trying to change the rule of law and the Bible said that that's going to happen at the end of the beginning many false prophets lawlessness and the love of many will grow cold in verse 13 but the one who endures to the end will be saved let's pause there for a minute Some people teach that if you have salvation in Christ, that you can lose it. If you mess up, you lose it. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says, if you believe in Jesus, you've crossed already from death into life, and you shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. So this is not saying that in order to earn salvation in the end, you have to endure. Here's what it is saying, I believe, that those who truly know Jesus will endure those who've truly been born again and have Jesus Christ in their heart they will endure until the end they will live the Christian life that doesn't mean they're gonna be perfect that doesn't mean they're never gonna have trouble that doesn't mean they may not backslide for a minute but those who really know Jesus will endure even through this tribulation period that's about to come on the earth those who know who trust him will endure to the end and therefore will be saved okay so verse 14 and the gospel Of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now let's pause there for just a minute. We said last week: if Jesus can come at any moment and be raptured and rapture the church out, but the Bible says that before the end comes, that the gospel will be preached to every nation, tongue, and tribe and language. How can we believe in the rapture? Well, I said last week, I believe in a twofold coming of Jesus, that he comes in the clouds, he raptures his church, then all hell breaks loose on the earth. That's what we're reading about here in this passage. And before the end of that seven year period, everybody in the world will hear the gospel. Now, there's a verse that I've kind of missed. I've read my Bible for years and years and studied my Bible. This week, in my study, I came across Revelation 14, 6. You can write it down and look at it later. Revelation 14:6 tells us, and this is in the middle of the tribulation on the earth and that seven-year period when all hell breaks loose on the earth. Right in the middle of all of that, it talks about, in Revelation 14, it talks about an angel who goes with his mouth and proclaims to every nation, in every tri- tribe, in every tongue. So for all the years of persecution throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years now, the church has endured, the message has gone out. But we still haven't reached every single language and every single people group. But Revelation 14 verse 6 says that there's going to come a time that for those who've yet been missed and for those languages and people groups who've yet been missed, that this angel is going to proclaim the gospel all around the world. Now, to me, that's exciting, and that lets me know that the rapture can take place today because Jesus is going to come back, take us away, and then seven years break out on the earth, and before the end of that, through the gospel presentation of the sealed Jewish witnesses that we're going to read about in a minute, and this angel that everybody and every nation will hear. Okay, so... Verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his clothes, his cloak, and alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Pray that your flight be not in winter or at Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulations such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. Now, it talks here about an abomination of desolation. Some of you have been in church a long time and you study studied the book of Daniel. In the, in the book of Daniel, it predicts world empires, all the world empires, with pretty great accuracy. But in that passage, it talks about an abomination of desolation that we read about here. And the first one that happened was in uh, the 2nd century B.C. When this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, some of you have heard of him in history. He, the Jewish people have their, their s- everything set up to worship God in the holy place. And this guy who's a, an unbeliever, who's a, antagonistic to everything that's God... He comes into the middle of this Jewish synagogue, and he offers a pig on the altar. We know Jews and pigs. That wasn't a kosher deal. He offered this pig on the altar. He desecrates this temple, and this is something that happened in history, but this is not the one that he's referring to there. He said that was a picture of what's going to come because the Isra- Israel, you know, they've become a nation again now for the first time in a couple of millennia. Millennia they become a nation, eventually they're going to have this sacrifice and they're going to be worshiping again. And at the end time, after the church is raptured and God's dealing with the nation of Israel, something like happened before where this world leader is going to come in, this religious guy who's opposing everything that's God and everything that's the Bible and everything that's Jewish and everything that had been Christian, and he's going to come in and he's going to do the same thing that what happened way back in history. And so he said, Just like it happened before, there's going to be this persecution against God's people. Okay? Then the great tribulation is going to happen. Now, the tribulation is seven years long, but the great tribulation, the last half of it, is going to be even worse than the first half of it. Seven and a half years of tribulation where evil reigns on the earth, the church is out, the Holy Spirit is out, and all hell's breaking loose both with natural wonders and cataclysms, cataclysms taking place, but also when evil prevails on the earth and all that has been good and all that has been pre, uh, uh, considered righteous and just and of God is at stake. And great tribulation like has not been from the beginning. Think of all the, the horrific genocides that have happened in the history of mankind. One message that I brought to you a few months ago, we talked about all the different leaders like Pol Pot and Stalin and Hitler and all the millions and millions and tens of millions of people that have been massacred throughout history. The Bible says none of them hold a candle to what's yet to come. The worst is yet to come. Now continue reading with me. It says in verse 21 again, there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world and no, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Is there going to be a cataclysm where the human race wipes out the entire human race? It's going to get close to it, but not completely happy. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and people converge on the Holy Land and the Middle East and all these wars, Russia from the North and the nations from the South and Africa, all the countries of the East, they converge in the Holy Land and they're trying to snuff out all that is God, all that is Jesus, all that is Jewish, all that has been Christian, and they converge on it. And the Bible says if God doesn't intervene, if he didn't intervene in this time, the whole human race would be snuffed out in a moment. It says... Unless those days have been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. All right, so God's going to intervene. He's not going to let the human race wipe itself out completely. Verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there it is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible... It's not possible. But if it was possible, the deception is so great that even the elect, even people who are going to be saved during this tribulation period after the church is taken out, many, many millions of Jewish people, the nation of Israel, finally going to come back to Christ. But through all of this tribulation, false Christ, false prophets, signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In verse 25, see, I've told you this beforehand. If they say to you, look, here's the, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner room, do not believe it. So they say, it's going to be all these people professing to be God. But you're going to know when the real God comes. Don't believe the words. Now, a parallel passage is in Luke chapter 21. and I just want to read you one verse there. In verse 24 of Luke 21, we read these words. They will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I want to talk to you about that phrase, the times of the Gentiles. This is fascinating. This is a little heavier than sometimes we're used to here. But I want you to understand what the Bible talks about. So in the history of the world, there have been three major groups of people that God refers to. And in one verse in the New Testament, he refers to all three of them at the same time. Jewish people, or the nation of Israel, Gentile people, that's all the rest of the people in the world that are not Jewish, and then a special group of people made up of Jews and Gentiles called the church, that's us, that's believers in Jesus Christ, completed Jews are Jews that have recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that they missed, and they come to Christ, and they come to faith in Christ, so there's Jewish people, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants. There's the Gentiles, all the other nations of the world, and then there's the church. And we're in this special place that the Bible calls it a mystery. It's one of those mysteries in the New Testament where the Jews and the Gentiles come together in something very unique called the church. And every Jew, every Gentile, every person from around the world who puts their faith and trust in Jesus in this generation, in this time where Jesus, before Jesus comes, is a part of that body called the church. And so now the Bible says that at a point, I believe the Bible teaches, this group of people are going to be lifted out. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to get a reward. Then we're going to, when all this breaks loose on the earth and Jesus is going to ride back, that's next week. You don't want to miss next week when King Jesus comes riding in. By the way, he's got a tattoo on his thigh. Well, I'm not sure it's a tattoo, but it's something written on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's next week. You don't want to miss that. But the church is lifted out. Now, have you ever thought about? And Pastor Chris, when he was preparing his message a couple of weeks ago, he referred to the nation of Israel and the promises. And we talked about the fact that not all the promises that have ever been given to the nation of Israel have been fulfilled yet. They've never gotten all their land. There's still all this fighting over the East Bank and the West Bank. Uh, the nation of Israel turned away from God. And God says, when that happens, you're going to be scattered all over the earth. But there's going to come a time when I'm going to bring you back together. And in 1946, they became a nation again. And God's doing this work where he's bringing the nation of Israel together. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about that. You can study that this week. So here's the deal. When the church is lifted out, Jews, Gentiles, who have all come to Christ, then God comes back around full circle to this group of people called Jews He brings this nation to their knees by tribulation and by signs and wonders and wars. And people are trying to snuff them out. And people are converging on them from all around the world. It's amazing to me when I read the Bible and that the the nation of Israel is the focus of that. And then I watch the news and that's the focus today, isn't it? Everything's about that region of the world. Well, the Bible says it's going to come to a climax, it's going to come to a crescendo, and all of a sudden, all the whole world is going to just hate Israel during this time and try to absolutely snuff them out and annihilate them. And another genocide is about to take place, but God doesn't let it happen completely. So the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church of Christ. Now in this verse, Luke 21, 24, it talks about the times of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Remember, most of the Old Testament is about the nation of Israel. Most of the New Testament is written by Jewish people who've come to know Christ. But when the Jews rejected Jesus, when he came to this earth, God, in a sense, set the nation of Israel aside for a while. And then in Daniel, he talked about when this happens, that the the four world empires, the Grecian, uh, the Medo-Persian, The Babylonian and the Roman empires come about. And then this revival of the Roman empires, which is the European nations of today, the European Union, that's talked about in Daniel. It doesn't use that term. That's exactly what he's talking about. So God says all the other nations of the world are going to have their day. And they're going to persecute Israel and they're going to almost wipe them out. But then King Jesus comes back and he brings his people to himself, the nation of Israel. This is what this verse is talking about. The times of Gentiles, when they're completed, when all the other nations have had their stuff and their say and they're picking on Israel, then eventually that's going to come to an end. So for the world without Jesus, the worst is yet to come. Now, I say here a lot, the best is yet to come for Christians. But if you're not a Christian and the, you're, and the church is raptured out and the Holy Spirit is taken out... All hell's going to break loose on the earth. It's going to be far worse than anything you could even imagine. The worst is yet to come. And there's an evil attempt to crush Israel. You want to write that down. So the worst is yet to come for the world. And there is evil attempt to crush Israel. Let's look at a couple of verses there. Revelation 11 verse 7 says this. When they finished their testimony... The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war with them and conquer them and kill them. So there's this beast. We don't know for sure what it is, but it's, it's, a, it's a, an empire. It's a godless empire, and it's led by the devil himself and the beast and the false prophet, these key political, religious leaders that are opposed to everything's God. They're religious, but they're godless. That's going to happen they're going to make war on them and this beast rises from the pit of hell so the church is gone the holy spirit's gone and then this evil creature more evil than any person than we've ever had coming out of the bottomless pit and then revelation chapter 13 verse 2 says this and the beast that I saw was like a leopard its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion's mouth and its dragon gave its, and the drag to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne in great authority. So the devil empowers, Satan himself empowers the beast and the false prophet and these world leaders as they converge against Israel is a a Satan-empowered, complete all-out war against God. And it says, the dragon gave his power and his throne Great authority. Now look at Revelation chapter 13, verses 2 to 5. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. So he's he's damaged. It looked like he's done. It looked like he's finished. It looked like he's dead meat. There's this mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled through the internet and through watching of television globally. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise great authority for 42 months. So for three and a half years, in the middle of the tribulation, when all hell's breaking loose on the earth, these evil powers come out. It's like a movie that you've seen. The worst movie you can possibly imagine. The worst creatures you can possibly imagine. The worst world powers you can possibly imagine. Empowered by the devil himself, they rise to power. And for 42 months, for three and a half years, all hell breaks loose on the earth. And then one world government rules. We're almost ready for this. One world government rules. Look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. And by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Now, this is important. Worship the image. I'll come back to that in a second. Not just receiving a mark in your forehead and your wrist, but worshiping the beast is a part of that whole endeavor. So that the image of beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So if, they, if people don't worship the beast and don't receive its mark, they're going to be annihilated. They won't be allowed to buy, sell, or trade, and ultimately they're going to be slaughtered. Verse um, 16. Also, it comes, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he is... The mark. This is scary stuff, folks. Remember, if you're in the church, you're going to be chicken out before this. Thank God for that. But he causes all those that are left upon the earth to, to worship him to receive its mark, both small and great, on the right hand or the forehead. Verse 17, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. For let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the, the number of a man and his number is 666. Man was created on the sixth day. I don't know exactly what the 666 means. Let me answer a couple questions that are niggling you right now. A lot of people think that, okay, so nowadays we have a, I, leave, I leave my wallet. Uh, in the car when I, well, in the front row with my wife when we, when I preach, so I don't have stuff in my pockets. But in my wallet, I've got these credit cards and debit cards, and they got chips on them, right? Everybody got chips? Uh, you know, nowadays, they're looking at inserting microchips under the wrist or in the forehead. You know that, right? So some of you are like, maybe, maybe everybody now this morning after this is wanting to live off the grid to think, Because if I have a credit card with a chip on it, or if I get that thing under my wrist, does that mean I've accepted the mark of the beast? Well, here's a couple of things I want to know. Number one, it's not just a matter of being deceived to get the chip, but it's a matter of actually worshiping this beast, this false god, this personification of evil. There's going to be many people, millions of people that are going to come to know Jesus Christ during this tribulation period of time. And they're going to reject worship of the beast. So it's not like, okay, well, I got a credit card. I must have the mark of the beast. I don't believe that at all. It's associated with worship. But you can see that by the technology that we have right now, that what we're talking about of ruling the world from one place and prohibiting everybody who's not a part of that system we are set up for that now like we've never been in the history of the world a hundred years ago we couldn't have imagined smartphones and cell phones and paying for something with your phone or a chip being implanted in your wrist or in your forehead we couldn't imagine the technology that we have today but now the bible says the, the one world government is going to be set up, and it's going to be run by man. It's not going to be for God. It's going to be evil, and the mark of the beast is 666. That's of a man. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if it's going to be a physical 666. I don't know, but the Bible says it's a mark of a man, the evil of the world. So one world government rules, and God's wrath is poured out. Look at this. Revelation chapter 9, 14, verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, okay? So it's not just being tricked into getting a credit card or something. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark in his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. So this is a person who totally turns their back on God. Totally turns it back on good. This is the people who were left on the earth that were unbelievers. And many will come to Christ, but many will continue to worship man and worship the beast. Verse 16. Also, it causes all. Oh, I'm sorry. Lost my place. Uh, verse 10. He will drink the wine of God's wrath, pour it out in full strength into the cup of anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the lambs. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives its mark or its name. This is what's coming for our earth. This is what's coming after the church is taken out. If you're here this morning and you're not a part of God's church, you're not a part of the body of Christ where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is what lies ahead and it could be imminent. It could be any moment now where the church is raptured out and all these things start to unfold, but you can see from the scripture that we must be near. So God's wrath is poured out and then Israel will be disciplined and multitudes of people will be saved during this time. Many of them also will be decapitated and and martyred for their faith at a rate like the world has never seen before. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Israel will be disciplined and multitudes saved. Deuteronomy 4 says, when you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Israel has been walking away from God for thousands of years. But God's going to use tribulation to draw this nation back to himself. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, the day is great. There's none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, that is, for Israel, for the nation of Israel. It's not for the church. It's for this nation of Israel that God will bring him back, He and yet he shall be saved out of it. So Israel will be saved out of this tribulation. Revelation 7, 4. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of Israel. This is cool. This is cool. Listen here. Do you remember how in the Bible says in the New Testament that the whole world was turned upside down by the 12 disciples and, their, and the followers of Jesus? They affected society, and that's what God wants to do with us, with this church. He wants us to penetrate society with the message of the hope of Jesus Christ. Well, with 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, the first century church and those millions and billions who've come to Christ since then was turned upside down. During this time of tribulation, when God brings Israel to their knees and brings them to himself, there's going to be 144,000 sealed Jewish Witnesses. Not 12, 144,000. They're going to go into the world with all the gospel, to the far corners of the world, and to get the gospel. And they're going to face persecution, and they're going to be starved out, but they're going to come to Christ. And there's going to be millions and millions that come to Christ. There's a great multitude in Revelation 7, verse 9. I looked, and behold, a great multitude. That no one can number from every nation and all the tribes of people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So out of this terrible time on earth, the worst time of tribulation the world has ever seen, multitudes of people from every language and people and time and place will be saved. An innumerable multitude. That's good news but they're going to be persecuted in that time in Revelation 7:14. I said to him, "Sir, you know." And he said to me, "These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb." So after thousands of years of rejecting Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel will be brought to their knees millions upon millions of Jews and Gentiles will come to know Jesus during that great tribulation. And so you can write this down. And this applies not just to that period of time, but today. Tribulation promotes transformation. Tribulation promotes transformation. You know, things come in waves, right? Things hit you just recently. So many things have hit our family and your families. Lots of things. It comes in waves. But you know what? For me... It can either drive you away from God, and I know that, or tribulation can promote transformation in your life. If you turn to the one who offers you hope, if you turn to the one who can offer you life and freedom and transformation, it gives you hope. But time is running out for Israel, and time is running out for us. There's a fable that there were three apprentice demons. And they were conspiring about how to influence the church of Jesus Christ into being ineffective. He doesn't want us to witness to people. He doesn't want us to have potluck meals where we strategize together like we're going to do in the next four weeks about how to reach our community. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to stay home and watch TV. He doesn't want that to happen. Well, these demons of hell, they were trying to strategize on how to make the church ineffective. And one of the demons said this. He's he's an apprentice demon. and He says, I got an idea. Why don't we just tell everybody there's no God? And all the other demons said, no, no, no. That won't really work because I I know in that Bible it says that uh, the whole creation really knows inside that there is a God. That won't work. Because intrinsically, people know there's a God. And the second demon apprentice said, okay, well, what about this? What about if we tell people there's no hell? All the demons said, well, the Bible teaches there is a hell. And built into every human being is this known concept that judgment is coming, that there really is something called hell. The third demon apprentice came up with the most brilliant of ideas. He said, we can't tell them that there's no God We can't tell them that there's no hell. Let's just tell them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. That's where a lot of us are today. There's no intensity about our walk with God. There's no intensity about our faith and walking with Jesus. There's no intensity about our witness. There's no intensity in our life. There's no hurry. People are suffering like these guys in the cave. They're running out of oxygen, so people are getting there quickly. And we we don't realize, we don't stop and think that the whole world is on a freight train headed for hell. But we're not in a hurry to witness to them. Would you write this down as a next step? Bow to Jesus now as Lord or later as judge. Those are your only options. You will bow to Jesus Christ one day but if you don't bow to him in this lifetime if you don't bow to him before your heart stops beating and your, your spirit leaves your body you're going to bow to him one day as the judge of all the earth and he will send you away into everlasting fire and torment with a, in hell in a place called prepared for his devils and his angels. We're running out of time. We're running out of air. The time is now. To follow Jesus. The time is now to serve Jesus. The time is now to be committed like Pastor Chris charged us a couple of weeks ago. The time is now to be stand up and serve and to be faithful and to be passionate about what's to come. And have hope for the future. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe there's some people here this morning that are not absolutely sure that if you stepped into eternity today that you would be with God. And you're lost. You're in chains. You're separated from the God that loves you by your sin. But Jesus made a plan, and he can offer you the gift of eternal life right now, right where you sit, right at home, right on your computer, right where you are in the car listening to this message. You can cry out to Jesus and say, God, I know I'm running out of time. I cry out to you. I believe that you died for me, that you were buried, that you rose again. I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior, Lord. I don't want to be a part of this terrible hell that's to come on the earth and the eternal hell that awaits those without you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I need a Savior today, right now. I know the time is running out, and today I want Jesus. Would you raise your hand? If you're home, raise your hand. I won't see you, but God will. In this room, you don't know Jesus. You're not sure. You're not absolutely sure beyond a shadow of a doubt as if you've been in eternity for a thousand years that if you died you'd be in heaven with God. Would you raise your hand if you need Christ today? Anybody at all in this building? Our care team's going to meet you in the hallway. There'll be a few people out there. If you need to talk to somebody about your soul and whether or not you've trusted Christ you can do that. Listen Christian time is running out. There's a great effort worldwide to save those boys in those caves but there's not a whole lot of passion for reaching people for Jesus. Would you say, God, right now, give me somebody in my mind to think about that I can pray for and that I can witness to this week. God, give me that person. Bring that person to my mind. You got it? You got that person in your head? Lord, we pray for those people that you put before us. Lord, they're running out of oxygen. They're running out of time. We pray for their salvation. Lord, help us to do today what we'll be glad we've done when we stand before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?